0: Welcome to Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't made much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, Christopher Woodrow-Butcher, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, David Brothers, follow along with our show notes and reading list at MangaSplaining.com. And today on Explaining, this is episode, I don't know, 79, 80? We've got to be getting up there at this point. But we're really close to closing out season three, and I figured what better way than to a whole bunch of like really exciting and literary works with a book that's mostly about having a job and wanting to be good at your job. And that mm-hmm. is Space Brothers by Chuya Koyama. Space Brothers was serialized in Kodansha's seinen manga magazine Morning, beginning in December 2007, according to Wikipedia. There's a 99-episode television anime series that aired mm-hmm. for a couple of years beginning in 2012. Live-action film. There was like a very brief anime they put out. There's been tons of like collabs and also like actual merch, like working with NASA to create things for people to buy related to Space Brothers. Hmm. And essentially, it's just the story of two brothers, Muta Nanba and Hibito Nanba, who both make a promise to each other to become astronauts and go to the moon. Hibito, the younger brother, decides to go to the moon. Muta, the older brother, decides to go to Mars because, you know, the older brother has to aim a little bit higher than the younger brother. And fast forward 20 years, and we're stuck in the middle of their story where Ibito is a successful astronaut, and at the beginning of Volume 1, Muta, the older brother, is unemployed because he headbutted his boss. And (laughs) (laughs) I guess I should say how I feel about this first, and then get into the rest of it. I think... Like I first started reading this on a whim, like it's Space Brothers. I was like, oh, you know, my last name's on it. I might as well take a look." you know, spaces. I was wondering if that's what it was, actually, when I first started like, oh, <laughs> it's a book named after David. Of course he's going to read it. Yeah. No, I'll totally try anything named Brothers just to see.
1: <laughs> it's like how I've tried every
0: flavor of potato chip. Yeah, no, exactly. I was actually inspired by the Zdarsky method.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad I have no such baggage with my name
3: <laughs> she says that but she's out there climbing every mountain she can just because it's in her name she's just like no F that yeah. I'm going to be the Aoki in this one and just beating those <laughs> mountains
2: it's more like I take selfies in front of every picture of Steve Aoki like, Uncle
3: Steve <laughs> Cause, cause of, like it's Steve <laughs> <laughs> Vegas was interminable, like he's on everything. So it was like every five minutes, it was Deb taking a selfie with Steve Aoki plastered on the side of like a box.
0: <laughs> it was pretty good. I love a good gimmick. It's so once you have like 100 of those, it's super funny. Yeah. <laughs> but I like this manga because it was kind of mundane. Like it wasn't really about like teens aiming for the stars. It wasn't about like the end of the world. Like, it's literally just about a guy trying to get good enough at his job so that he can work at NASA and go into space so he doesn't disappoint his younger brother. And eventually it becomes, you know, about other things across, you know, there's, like, micro journeys, let's say, steps along his odyssey. And I was charmed, I think is the best word for it. Like, it's not super exciting, necessarily. I don't really, like, have to read the next volume as soon as I finish one volume. But every Mm -hmm. time I finish a volume, I feel like, oh, like, the next time I get back to this will be a good time. I kind of put it in sort of that like comfort reading tier of when I just want to relax. So I brought it to the podcast because I think it has a lot going for it. A lot of things we've talked about over the course of the season. And it's an interesting expansion in the types of manga that we've covered because most of the stuff we've done has been very personal or like tip top artistic excellence. And this is a book that I think of as being pretty good, but the kind of pretty good that you can stick with for a very long time. So I'm going to start with Christopher. What did you think of Ichiya Koyama's Space Brothers? I actually really liked it. I tried to
3: read it maybe almost 10 years ago, actually. Mm -hmm. One of the publishers I was working at was considering publishing it. And I was just like, oh, I totally get that. And then they didn't get it, obviously. Kodansha did the digital edition instead a little bit down the road. But I, I know that a lot of fans of the series desperately want print on this one and i think at 40 plus volumes i don't know that that's necessarily going to happen at this point in english learn a different language uh, but i didn't i didn't enjoy <laughs> it and it's not that i didn't think it should be published back in the day it was more like i was not vibing with it it was having some things mm-hmm. to say that i didn't resonate with me and it was weird this time to pick it up as someone who's just like started a new job and started like a new thing and getting back like it all the themes were like oh yeah i see that that makes that makes a lot of sense this character's motivations are like really solid and yeah i think that i think it was a really enjoyable read and i like the the thing i liked Mm. and it seems again to be super damning with faint praise is that the first volume did not stay it's welcome I know what you said when you're like, yeah, I don't, I'm never like, oh, right, new volume of Space Brothers, I got to get to it. But you know that when you read it, it's a good time. Like I was reading it, and then the last story, the last chapter in this volume started, and I was like, man, I'm kind of hitting the end of Space Brothers. Like I get it. I think we're at a good spot. But that last <laughs> chapter being where they meet, and it sort of recapitulates everything we've learned up until that point, it was almost like a recap chapter at the end when the two brothers finally meet each other. I was like, oh, that was the exact right length of manga. I know that's like a weird thing to say, but it was like, (laughs) perfect. And I didn't want to go pick up the next volume like I sometimes do when we do this and cheat, as you say. I actually was just like, oh, (laughs) I'm going to think about that now. And like I'm glad that we get to talk about it on the podcast. So, yeah, Space Brothers. I liked it. And I have actually like a weird amount to say about it, too. So it won't be that boring of an episode from my point of view, it looks exciting. like for me for, for 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 my contributions yeah i think it's for uh, the it's christopher solid. fandom in the audience yeah yeah they're they're to at the bit i'm sure that sounds yeah so yeah i'm glad to have read it thanks david
0: cool yeah i actually did cheat after recommending this because you know you, you recommend a book and flip through to make sure it's as good as you remembered which Hmm. you should do before recommending, but I always mess that (laughs) up and like I kind of fell back into it and I'm in maybe volume 26, 27 ish. So like quite a ways on from here and it's kind of the same book, but better, which Mm. is pleasant, you know? Yeah. And Deb, how about you? How did space brothers treat you?
2: You know, like how we were recently talking about seinen manga that didn't feel like seinen manga,
0: mm-hmm.
4: <laughs>
2: or like there's a certain type of like expectation of seinen, manga, like like your lone wolf and cub where it's very manly. This I like this particular type of seinen manga in that it's about grown ups dealing with their dreams yeah. and the the reality that they live in. In this case of this particular person, Muta, is maybe I'm like reading too much, you know, therapy into it. But it's just kind of like he's got it in his head that, one, that he's going to always fail because of mm. the day he was born. And two, then he puts a ton of pressure on himself to be better or be the, be the big brother that his younger brother deserves. And so this combination of thinking, one, he's born under unlucky star, and two, that he feels like he has to do better, but are competing, I think, are basically led him down this path that, that he's on now where he, he's a successful Automotive designer, but he gets fired because he headbutts his boss for talking smack about his younger brother. Yeah, like uh, okay, (laughs) it's kind of this interesting thing, right? Because he's he feels he has every right to feel jealous of his brother, but he's not. I mean, he he, you know not in a destructive way. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, you know, he's doing really well, and oh, I I'm not because I can't or it's not in me or I'm just unlucky. And so you see how much of it is his mindset. And so I really enjoyed it when you have these flashbacks to his childhood, and like his aunt Sharon, who's a astronomer who basically lives in the neighborhood, kind of points out to him like how he was before, you know, that scene with the trumpet, right? Like mm-hmm. where he's like, oh, you know, which instrument do you want to play? And he goes, I'll try them all. It's like, why? It's like, because I want to see what's the hardest to do, and then I'll go do that. And the way that she points out to him, it's like, you used to be like that, you know? You used to really, you know, be up for anything. And now I see that you're not. And she points it out to him in a really, you know, not in a mean way, but in a way that makes mm. him stop and think. So it's kind of interesting because then you, you, in this first volume, you see this whole dynamic of Muta, right?
5: Mm-hmm. And it's
2: set up and you see him struggling with trying to overcome how he gets in his own way. And that's a very grown up subject. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, I, but at the same time, I thought it was very. It was a fun read. You know, I mean, the way that the parents, like, given the silent treatment, where o- the only thing that can be heard is the sound of a Steven Seagal movie in the background.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was <What>? very real. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Or that, you know, like, you know, he discovers that they're getting sick of having him at home and now that he's jobless because he gets two less strawberries than everybody else. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that part where the silent disapproval of his Asian parents For once, it did not make me cry. (laughs) It just made me laugh. (laughs) Because it was like, oh, okay, that's a really funny way that manifests.
4: (laughs) Yeah. But it was
2: was great. So there's a lot of things I love about this. I mean, but I agree with Chris in that, you know, normally, if I really love something, I will immediately jump and read the next one. With this, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a good place to stop. I'll come back to it in a little bit. (laughs) Yeah
0: while you were explaining that, I was like, oh no, like this book is totally therapy for, for a variety of <laughs> angles. <laughs> yeah. And well, you couldn't yeah. see it until you talked about it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the club, bro. I think I knew it, but then when you say it out loud, you're like, oh no, it's worse than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Chip, how about you? How did you like Space Brothers?
1: I agree with what everyone
0: said. The, the, the
1: one thing that you guys haven't touched on that much has just been the, the humor of it too. Mm. Like it, it's, you know, it is about like, you know, trying to like, Kind of get your shit together in your thirties, you know. And there, there's there's a struggle and a lot of character development, but it's also it's done with a nice light touch. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, like the strawberry scene, it's just like it's it's perfect, you know. Because it's not hitting you over the head with the thing. It's funny, but it also progresses the character and you understand his relationship with his parents like almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really charming book, and I, I like the fact that you know the title is Space Brothers. Spoiler: It's Space Brother. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I I really like the fact that they just they, they focus on Luta because there's something about I mean maybe I'm reading too much into it but this the space the space where the the other brother's supposed to be that mm-hmm. that he's kind of revolving around it without actually interacting oh. with him because he's not there yeah. but the fact that he's like he's like a presence and not an antagonistic one either but he's like this. there's a void there where his brother is supposed to be, where he's supposed to be with his brother. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's what it's kind of mostly about, the fact that he's not with his brother. Pretty good. You know, even though he talks about going to Mars or whatever, like, it's about his brother going on, and then he didn't take him with him. And as an older brother, that's a hard thing, too. I think the fact that this is the older brother left behind. Yeah. Who's also less attractive. (laughs) I I love that. Like, the the shot, the close-up of his face... Where he says, "Whatever you do, don't end up like me. Never headbutt your boss like I did. Use the tears are rolling down." I'm just like, "That is a, that is not an attractive man. That that really, that really helps it. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it's a weird thing. Like, I don't know. Like, my relationship with my brother is solid, and we've had periods in our life where one of us or the other is in mom and dad's bad books, and one of us is like the good son in quotes." <laughs> and, and even though like, then we're not antagonistic, like these brothers aren't antagonistic, you still feel it. Like there's it's not a it's a very subtle kind of rivalry.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, I I think Chris probably has that as well. Like I know Chris's brother is He's doing okay. He's doing okay. He's like super successful dude. And that's all and that's always it's always weird to always compare yourself to your brother. Like my brother is like a better son than I am in so many ways
0: to my parents. Yeah.
1: And he takes after my dad a lot more than I do. You like, need someone to help you fix the thing. My brother's the guy. You need someone to like make a joke while you're fixing the thing. I'm your guy. So uh, <laughs> I'm essentially useless. We've had periods where like I've been arrested and been in my parents' bad books. He's been arrested and been in my parents' bad books. And like in both of those periods, I guess <laughs> the other one benefited from the other one not doing well yeah like it's just it's just it's it's a weird relationship like i said even though like i'm glad the brothers in this aren't enemies like it's not that kind of book Mm -hmm. maybe that kind of happens along the way i don't know but the fact that there seems to be affection there i think really helps elevate this beyond like kind of the, the cheapest way into the story which would be like the cool handsome brother, you know, takes off to space and the other brother hates him for it. And like, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to show him. But it's like, oh, it's not bad. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I I quite liked it. I also agree that like by the end it's like, oh, that's really nice. Like maybe one day I'll um, I'll check out volume two and see what happens. But yeah,
0: yeah, it's a really solid read. Awesome, yeah, solid's a good word for it. I think the parents are maybe like a highlight of the book. Because just everything they do is punishingly funny sometimes. yeah. (laughs) Just the
3: expressions on them, too. are are Every time one of them's on screen, it is hilarious. Like, it's
0: full-on hilarious. And they established that the mom is the one who buys the shirts for the dad that just say, like, pasta or ramen or whatever. (laughs) 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 Because she sends one, small spoilers here, like, Musa finds some success in his journey over the course of, like, the 26 volumes that I've read. And she sends him a shirt to celebrate one of his successes. And he looks at it and he's like, ah, okay. And he just sighs. And it's such a good family moment, you know? (laughs) But then he wears it later. You know, he's still very grateful. And like, it's such a pleasant book to read in that respect because there are all these challenges, but they're all sort of faced by people who are ready for them or who if they aren't ready, who know where to go to like find the person to give them the advice or the perspective to get ready. Mm -hmm. So all the conflict is like, man, we have to reprogram the blah, blah, blah to make it less expensive so we can go to the moon. And it's like, how are we going to do that? And the answer is like, well, we you know put our heads together, we come up with a plan, and we consult the experts. And it works out almost every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a fantasy of real life in that sense, where like, things just <laughs> tend to work out. Yeah. But more, I think it's just a good way to tell the story of these two brothers who kind of share a dream, but whose dreams sort of blossoms in different directions. And I like what you all are saying about, about measuring up to your brothers or to your family. Like, I have the same thing. I have a younger brother. I have two younger brothers, actually. I have mm. one who was born in 1990 and then another who is much younger than I am. <laughs> so now it's even yeah. more important that I be a good older brother. That, like yeah. I've got my head on straight and I've, you know, kind of hopefully passed through most of those troubles. And this book starts there where it's like me and my brother have a dream. We both need to achieve it. What can we do to get that done? And it's, does it feel like a shonen manga thing to you, Deb? That sort of teamwork? Do you have any of that
2: vibe? I guess so, in a sense that they, they have a dream, and it's a mm-hmm. big dream. And they have to use the power of friendship <laughs> and effort to get there. Yeah. But at the same time, it feels like it's, in a shonen manga, there are more definite enemies. There are more definite bad guys who are out to sabotage you or make your life difficult. Or they're, they're much stronger than you, and therefore you have to beat them in mm-hmm. order to progress. Whereas in this case, like one of the stronger candidates is a woman.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: He's not angry at her. In fact, none of the guys are, and they're just kind of in awe, like, wow, she actually has the stamina to, like you know, beat the running test, the endurance test. She has the lung capacity to beat th- that test, you know, with Adi and Blinken. And she's not. She's not like, like ridiculously athletic looking. She mm-hmm. just is good, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's kind of pleasant, you know, because it's like it's not like she, you know she's evil or something. Like, is that the best you can do, you know? <laughs> you know, picky wiener man, you know, like kind of thing. <laughs> like, she's not at all like trying to prove something to, or like you know, feeling like oh, I'm the only woman in this sausage factory. You know, like, she's just kind of doing the best she can, and like. I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he thinks yeah. she's pretty, but that's not all she has to offer. So I think what I like about this is it—it's taking a much more grown-up approach,
4: mm-hmm.
2: where these characters have different nuances. They're—they're they're not predictable tropes. I mean, there are tropes. I mean, like that dog is ridiculous, obviously. Oh, yeah.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's like the mother who like sends a a bottle of. Kimchi that's going to expire in two days because of the going over the date line means it's one more day that you can eat it. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> where did this yeah, come yeah. from? <laughs> so so I, yeah, that's I just so love good. it. Like, those little character, like keep was saying, these little moments of character, like they tell you so much about the characters and their yeah. relationships with each other, but in such a fresh way. <laughs> I enjoy yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Christopher, how did the character stuff treat you? Did you have any favorite, like, interactions, things like that?
3: It was interesting. I actually was thinking about that like shonen thing. I was actually thinking about the shonen question you asked, Deb. Independently, I've just been making notes in the chat here. Yeah, it really is this manga about the transition of like shonen fighting spirit when they're little boys and they like have the inciting incident. And they're like, "I'm going to go to the moon," and I'm I'm going to go to the Mars. Like that's like that that's like pure shonen thing to getting to adulthood and one character has followed up on it, but is chill. Like the younger brother who's very successful is chill as hell in this. And you kind Mm. of don't expect that if this was a tropier manga, he'd be a different kind of character. And the lead character has just got no fighting spirit left at all. And it's not even like that kind of like, it's funny. We were supposed to read this after Kosakushima and there's been some shipping issues on that one. But like you're gonna read a, a salaryman manga in a couple of weeks, where like a dude in his like 30s is trying to navigate the corporate world, and that's got a different kind of like seinen, like grown-up shonen energy. Whereas this is just, it's more like an American, like not Golden Age of TV, but like like serialized television program. It's like Law and Order or something. It's like just this oh, like yeah. super comfortable <laughs> thing where characters are are. Are written to be pretty realistic like obviously there's a lot of fudging to make it an entertaining you know <laughs> hour of television or whatever but yeah i felt very much like the characters weren't trying to embody a shonen spirit as grown-ups but also weren't doing that like seinen manga thing where we're doing the like calculated version and none of the characters felt i think what deb was saying like and like the wrong kind of seinen manga uh <laughs> that was that's this is a big one the wrong kind <laughs> of seinen manga would have made the the female character i'm so sorry i can't remember their name uh, uh serika Itaika. Serika? serika would have made serika tsundere like would have made her like uh like stuck up like provoking fights i, I had to fight while i get here like like we read in food wars a couple weeks ago the only girl character is Both like trying to humiliate others, and also always being humiliated too. That's a big part Mm -hmm. of the tsundere. And it's like, no, she's just another character. Like she's like a good lady who who's really successful at what she does, but not perfect either. It's uh, I don't know. It was a tremendously comfortable experience hanging out with all of these characters. Even the part. Oh, here's here's the best character part actually. Yeah. From my perspective, they introduce the two guys that are just for like in one chapter that are better at the physical stuff. They win the two Mm -hmm. first two physical endurance challenges and they come up after and they're like, Oh, here you go. They're going to be the villains, right? They're going to be the guys who are like, I see you can't even do that. It's surprising that you got like, they didn't, but none of that happened. They're just like doing that thing that people that think they're better than you do. That's like subtle, very subtle nagging and then play it off as a joke. And it's not, we're going to be manga villains either shounen or seinen manga villains, were just going to be the kind of douche bros you encounter in your day-to-day life. And that's Hmm. like such a refreshing change for a manga character. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I liked that aspect of the character stuff a lot is that it seems like at every turn, he's really trying to like push away from manga character tropes in any of the dramatic elements, but any of the comedy elements He's free. He feels free to use manga to its fullest to enhance different aspects of it, like being chased through the park by a dog and making it look as like slapsticky as possible, or giving these expressions that are, as Chip said, hideous expressions on this man, <laughs> which I think is great. So yeah, I think the character stuff is is awesome. I was it was one of the things that most impressed me about it, but it's not so good. Like it's not so like deeply cutting and emotional, like, I don't know, like a journal, my father kind of a situation that I was like, deeply affected. It was more like, Oh, yeah, these all seem like people that I could, you know, have to work, like sit in a facility and do tests with for a week. That's fine. That was kind of, that was kind of great actually about it is that it's like a manga for grownups, which is so (laughs) condescending. Oh my God. But yeah, that's what it felt like to me. That yeah. was
0: on the cover of, what was it? Amazing Fantasy 15. Yeah. Comics and Respect Your sure. Intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> Chip, we've talked a lot about like Tokyo Taro Reba Girls and how we enjoy like the kind of reality, but also like slapstick on top of that. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this is sort of in a similar genre or similar space? Yeah. I
1: mean, less kind of flight to fancy, obviously. Yeah. But it still has that kind of like the Characters aren't broad. Hmm. Like, the characters have, like, you know, I mean, we're, it's, it's, it's what we've all been saying, like, those guys aren't the manga villains. They're yeah. more subtle than that. Like, the one guy with the slicked hair and just that little wisp in front that he lovingly curls at one point. He's subtle. That's a subtle character. He's, he's a friend, but yeah. he's also an enemy. Like, every, everything in this is. Like I said, not broad. The slapstick isn't really broad. like maybe the, a dog chasing.
4: <laughs> is, a, is a
1: little bit. But it still feels grounded enough in reality that if I saw a live-action version of this, it would feel like that could happen, you know?
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. I still need to see the live-action version. I really want to because there are so many good character moments on top of the ones we've been talking about. Like mm-hmm. the, the romance, let's say, between Sirica and Muta isn't like, he's always like, Oh, she's so cute. And like blushing and like, hee behind her back and stuff. But like Deb was saying, he also intensely respects her as an astronaut. Yeah. So when she gets to a part where she's like, Oh, like I've got to get to space. I can't make this happen on my own. He's there to say like, Oh, here's how I can help. And he wants nothing in return except like, you know, to help this lady he has a crush on. And it comes off cute where I think a lot of manga crushes come off overly aggressive Yeah. Like a little bit too much sometimes. And this series does a great job of hitting that mark.
3: How did you feel like where the panel of old men who's judging who goes to space was like, well, the best candidate was, you know, Serica. She's got all these things going on. And then there's that like one panel where they're like all kind of like, and she's so cute. And there's like little hearts coming up out of their heads and stuff. That actually put me off a little bit. You know, I was like. Like, that crossed it's the super line. super anime. Like, yeah, like, it, it's super, yeah. yeah, anime is a good way to put it. And I don't know. <laughs> because I think all the, like, it comes off fine when it's any individual character, or especially Muta. But when it's, like, a whole team of mm-hmm. admissions people, it felt a little bit gross.
0: Yeah, and I think they avoid that kind of stuff from here on out Most for the most part. Like, they're mm-hmm. still, like, her looks are a factor, but they add a lot more women characters with a different variety of specialties. Mm-hmm. So I think less opportunities to just be like, oh, she's the cute one. Yeah. But I think here where they're trying to like establish her character, maybe like, did they mention that she likes to eat a lot in this volume? I can't remember. I don't think so. Yeah. She it's he it's plate, like her, she piles manga her trait. plate high yeah. with, with broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, like yeah. a running joke, you know, and it's totally like a, a manga girlfriend thing, you know, be, not being able to cook or eating a lot, that sort of thing. So like all those little tropes are there but like mm. toned down a little bit, which I like. And you mentioned that Hibito, the younger brother, is Very cool. At a certain point, they get more into his head and they sort of fill in the blank that Chip was talking about where Moots is orbiting his brother. And you find out like he's got like intense anxiety from some of the things he's been through in space. That might mean he can't go back to space one day. Mm. So I there's even know. this thing hmm. where it's like you succeeded, you've made it to your dream, but like you don't get to keep it. And how does that yeah. make you feel? What do you do about that? <laughs> Yeah, and the solution is you know life affirming and poetic, of course. <laughs> Man,
2: well, well, they basically are like the, even their character designs, right? One is like the moon, and one is like the sun, right? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. like this happened in haiku, where Tsukishima and Hinata, with which was so obvious because he, Hinata's name harkens to the sun, and Tsuki harkens to the moon, and so there's this dark and light. There's this is mm-hmm. pessimist and optimist. And, but what's kind of neat about that is like, you know, at the, at, up through that first couple chapters, you think about, you know, at that the, this brother as being, you know, the, you know, can do no wrong, right? And then at that last part, when Mutta finally goes to Houston, his brother goes, you need to be more competitive because now you're boring.
3: Yeah.
2: It's like, ooh, snap. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was a good note to end that first volume on. I agree.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And such a cool picture of them with the rocket behind them, you know? Mm, Like, it's not an exceptionally well-drawn book, but it has a lot of little good moments that I really appreciate. Mm. And the slapstick, I think, is, like, universally good.
3: Chip, I'm curious. You're
0: you're usually the most critical
3: of the artwork. I'm curious what you thought of the artwork on this.
1: Yeah, I I don't think it's good. There are definitely a lot of panels where I'm just, like, curiously screen-grabbing because (laughs) I thought they were poorly done. But the character acting is so good and consistent that it kind of like excuses a lot of it. Like they're, they're always able to get across the feeling of, of what the character is doing, what they're conveying for the jokes to land as well. So like, okay. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, instinctively I kind of want to go in and redraw a lot of like, a lot of the action stuff, a lot of the motion stuff. <laughs> that's what I wanted. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, like, but the facial expressions and the acting is so good that I, I, I don't mind it at all. It's it's not a pretty book. Like, yeah. if it was a, a great looking book, I would instantly want to reach out for two. I know that. i hmm.
4: Like,
1: I think that's part of what kind of holds it back and why... We're all like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll get to volume two. Mm-hmm. Like if, I think if the art was exceptional, then you'd be like, oh, yeah, no, I've I got to see what happens next. Mm-hmm. I
0: think that's fair. What does this feel like? Did this, first of all, you feel like an explainer manga to you? Was it sort of in that realm?
1: No, not really, because, I mean, it's all kind of stuff that you would be able to guess at. Okay. Like, oh yeah, like lung capacity, and they're running, and there's gonna be psychological tests. Like, yeah, of course, I kind of expect that getting into NASA. Like, I think maybe as it goes along, as they get into like the gritty of like, oh, how do we fix the, the engine of the rocket, like stuff like that, then maybe it'll be a bit explainer. But,
4: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah, yeah, all, all that, all that stuff's very secondary. Like, it's just like, oh, a character needs to get from point A to point B in their journey. And they'll have to undergo these tests with the test not the thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And did it feel like a sci-fi? Mo- well, I guess maybe sci-fi is not the right word, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Like, Did it feel like a sci-fi manga or just more slice, slice of life, maybe?
1: Hmm. I mean, the, 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 yeah, the story doesn't revolve around science fiction, except for the fact that they see something at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, but you kind of forget pretty quickly but yeah. it becomes just about a guy who headbutted his boss and was like lying face down in his parents' home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the sci fi seems very, very secondary to this. Like the fact that it's set in you know, the future of twenty
4: twenty
1: five doesn't feel necessary. Really? I don't know. Sense. Yeah, like like what, what about this needs it to be in the future?
2: Did, yeah. Didn't it get published, the, this first chapter get published, like, 10 years ago or something? Like, mm-hmm. quite a while ago, so at that point, maybe 2025 felt a long way away. I'm, I'm and, sure it <laughs> did,
1: it, there were still, like, space programs, and, like, yeah. like there's, nothing, there's nothing weird about the space stuff here to make it need to be sci-fi.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that sort of tracks with my experience, too. Because sci-fi I'm always like hit or miss with maybe. There's like a fine line for it. And this is so much about like doing the job that the space stuff is almost just another it's like background noise, I would say. Yeah. Hmm. You know, it doesn't feel like a book about space
1: yet. I I will say I don't know anything about Japan's space program. Hmm. So maybe there is none, and that's why this is (laughs) sci-fi.
0: And I think they wanted a far to future date to where they could like do an optimistic story without getting picked apart.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that Maybe sense. one of those.
0: Like a little wiggle room probably
2: goes a long way. I think, too, it's kind of similar to kind of like we always we mention this, but you know, Slam Dunk made basketball more popular with Japanese people, right? Mm-hmm. And Drops of God made wine more popular in Asia. I feel like Space Brothers, when it first came out, was kind of an attempt to. Take it out of sci-fi and make it into the you too Japanese person can become an Mm. astronaut. Mm. This is not Mm -hmm. just the realm of Neil Armstrong or Russian people. You know, like we have a space program, and maybe you might want to try. I don't know for a fact whether that had like a a dramatic effect on public's awareness of JAXA, Mm. but I kind of feel like it did because it made a lot of people didn't like Japan has a space program. (laughs) You know what I'm saying?
0: (laughs) Yeah yeah, it's pretty fun.
3: The cultural space that Space Brothers occupies in Japan is really significant because it's not in the otaku space almost at all. It's actually all in the public space. Like I've been to Japan multiple times where there were Space Brothers promotions running at like 7-Eleven or I'll find a bunch of like Space Brothers ads and we'll put them in the show notes, but it occupies a mainstream space (laughs) in the Japanese consciousness. And it still does. Like it's I think it's either still running or just about to end. And it's like, people are very excited about it, but they're not excited about it. in like a One Piece, or like One Piece is actually transcended from the otaku space into the general space as well. That's a bad example. But like, even something like Demon Slayer, which was still like really popular in the mainstream, but like was clearly an otaku thing or like throwback to when you were an otaku so you can kind of get into it. This is something that's just like Space Brothers is something that like everyone is aware of. And it is like, a, it is a mainstream thing. So it's kind of wild. To me to see that having happened i kind of think that's awesome but i also think that it means it was really successful at what at what it wanted to do which was find that kind of like uh eight o'clock drama com- dramedy tv you know hour-long yeah. whatever spot situation yeah. so i think that that's pretty cool it's funny i just looked
1: up jackson on wikipedia just to see if that's a real thing <laughs> and and at the bottom, it says, see also, Space Brothers manga. <laughs>
4: so
1: clearly, go. it's, it's
0: got a spot, yeah. Yeah. The manga does a good job of centering JAXA, let's say. Like kind of always putting the choices that characters are making in the context of the Japanese space program. Mm-hmm. Obviously, NASA is a huge part of the series because they have you know the technology, the history, and the prestige, I guess. But a lot of it is that while Muta's rediscovering his dream, kind of Hibito is a star because he's in space. So it kind of gives Jackson something to aim for, you know, like mm-hmm. being an astronaut is kind of cool. Like, and here's a comic kind of about that. Mm-hmm. from a, a variety of different angles.
3: I feel like Mutsu is actually kind of a stand in for Japanese society in a lot of ways, like, especially even like things haven't really changed in Japan, but when this started, like people were still feeling down about the recession slash depression that was going on after the crash, of the bubble economy it's a guy who is really good at what he does and he builds really important technological things but he's been beaten down by society and doesn't feel good about things and it's about him rediscovering what he's good at like this is there's clearly a metaphor (laughs) you know working here and there's clearly a reason he resonated so strongly with so many dudes and was it morning or after afternoon it's running in right uh morning oh morning wow okay yeah, yeah, it is morning. I put just put that in the show notes the other day. Yeah, another manga that doesn't really feel like it should be a seinen manga, like Deb said. So, so yeah, like there's clearly a metaphor here. It's clearly supposed to resonate with like a man of a certain age who remembers, you know, great things that he and his soul society have done, and is not feeling it right now. And I. Th- I think that's wild that it would become as successful (laughs) as it did. Like you can make that, but to have it turn into like a bonafide cultural phenomenon in Japan is, is pretty, is pretty amazing. And I think that I I don't think it's just a Japanese thing either. I think that anyone like I resonated with me. I think anyone can look at this and go, "Oh, remember when you really dreamed big and you still did great things, but it wasn't exactly what you thought it was going to be. And now you've got this chance to do something, something close to that original dream you had when you were a kid. Like, Who's that not going to resonate with,
0: you know? Yeah. I think he's also confidently dumb in a way that's oh, deceptive. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this guy's a goofball. But, like, he used to design cars for a living. Like, you can't really Yeah. <laughs> like, There's so many, like, tiers of intelligence that he's, like, left past. But he's still kind of, like, a kind-hearted guy. Mm. And he comes across as almost, not aspirational, but, like, if he can do it, I can. In yeah. a kind-hearted sense, you know.
1: I love the fact that that's his background, the fact that yeah. he like, designed cars. Because you always have that in the back of your head, no matter where he goes and
0: how he seems like he's a bit of a screw up. It's like,
1: oh, wait, no, this guy's, he's smart. Like, he clearly knows yeah. what he's doing.
0: And he's not Surprise. a loser. Yeah. Like, when the moon buggy needs repairs or redesigning, like, what kind of skills come into play? The skills mm. he had his previous life, because everything wow. counts. Spoilers. That's very modern. Right? <laughs> <laughs> So let's do final thoughts. I feel like we've taken a nice bite out of the Space Brothers. Yeah. I'm gonna deliver another spoiler to the gang and talk about something that happens in volume twenty-four, kind of speaking of Muta being, you know, a goofball. At this point, he's part of Jaxa. he's part of NASA, like they're trying to find out how to get him to space. Wow, be it spoilers. To the moon or elsewhere. Yeah, right? Who knew? I thought he didn't get in like next volumes. volume. And then it was just, like, 40 volumes of very sad comics. (laughs) That's the Craig Thompson version. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he's, like, he's got a chance to essentially build something in honor of his Aunt Sharon. And it will be, you know, something that's very important to her, very important to him. And it's such a good moment that's almost understated for how good it is. Where he just says, like, we'll be constructing the Sharon Lunar Telescope here. And it's like... He just achieved a dream and it's just a stepping stone on the way to what's next. And I think it's something that as adults, we often lose sight of is that like a lot of us get to do a lot of really cool stuff almost constantly. Like, even if Mm -hmm. your job's, you know, working in Hollywood or, you know, picking up trash, like there's something about your job that's great, but picking up trash is probably the pay. And this book does such a great job of providing that perspective that you can keep doing good things even if you don't feel like you're on your path yet that, I don't know, it's been really nice to keep up with during the pandemic. Mm. Deb, what's your final thought on Space Brothers?
2: You know, like one of the things that has come up for me with Space Brothers is I get a lot of people from Japan going like, why isn't this hugely popular in America? You know, mm. it's, it, it's a big deal. And it's a big deal in Japan. Almost like tons of people have read it part of a cultural conversation kind of thing. How mm-hmm. come this yeah. has never caught on in America? And I don't think it's for the usual reasons. The usual reasons, like it's too Japanese, right? I think in this particular case, I think the reason is they don't make comics like this in America.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just straight up don't.
2: They start, there's, and so there's no audience. It's not the typical manga audience, right? It has an anime, sure, but has it helped it a lot? Not really. It, it kind of needs readers in their late 20s and 30s, you know? It's, it feels more like a TV show it's like a mash it's like an episodic ultimately uplifting it's a nice dramedy like drama comedy you know and then there's like some really clever touches like that part where they have the job interview and the, the chair it's one screw is loose oh
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that was such a good scene
2: <laughs> that was great so there's all kinds of little clever things so it rewards a reading for adults and you don't have to be an adult to love it. you don't have like, I, I think teens could enjoy it too, but I just mm. think it's such an odd bird that it has not caught on. And because it's digital only, it doesn't get in the hands of people who would find it at a library, for example. It doesn't mm. get in the hands of people who would find it r- randomly at a bookstore. So it's kind of put in this really awkward position where it's out there in English, thank goodness, but at the same time, because it's such a unique bit of manga, it may never find its audience in a way that it deserves to. But maybe we're changing that with this.
0: <laughs> the manga <manga-splaining> the bump.
2: <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. I like it.
0: But maybe the audience needs to grow into it.
1: I often think about, and this is probably completely wrong, I think of, like, manga boom stuff, like Harry Potter. Mm. Like, Harry Potter is YA. Like, I worked at a mm-hmm. bookstore when that was big, and it's just like, oh, my God, like, Every 10-year-old, 11-year-old is in here lining up at midnight for a new book. But also the adults are, too. Like, the adults can read the thing. So I've never read One Piece, so I don't know. But, like, One Piece, I'm assuming, like, kids are reading it. Hmm. But also adults are reading it because there's enough there for the adults. But it's so rare for that to be the reverse. Like, Space Brothers doesn't offer anything for the kids. Like, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no action, there's nothing exciting that's happening in this book at all, you know, besides being chased by a pug. <laughs> so, so the audience becomes a lot smaller. Like, there's a difference between, like, a book that does well as a New York Times literary bestseller and Harry Potter. Like, Harry Potter still sells ten times more than those books, even if they're considered successful. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that that's, that's the area this lives in. And, like, sometimes I think maybe that audience will grow up and, like, you know, when they're tired of giant anime-style fights and wizards and things, then they'll be like, oh, I I like the story about a guy in his 30s, (laughs) you know, lying face down on his parents' futon, having to kind of figure out the next step in his
4: life.
2: I I mean, I was going to say, like, maybe it doesn't resonate with Americans because, you know, like Chris was saying, it resonated with, you know, the the japanese economy and how things are going but you know i think there's some some similar things like like there's a bunch of millennials and gen zers who couldn't find good jobs
4: yeah
2: i think it resonates on an engineering level like solving problems as engineers do you know Mm -hmm. and it's uplifting which i think we all kind of need a little uplifting (laughs) but just the fact that it's just such a funky mix Mm. i gotta say that uh, maybe i'm part of the problem because it's like you know people always ask me you know what, what kind of manga should I read? I'm new to it, and I gotta say, Space Brothers is never in the top five. Yeah, which is too bad, right? Because I think yeah. there are there is a reader out there that would really enjoy this.
1: You don't just tell them to go listen to your hit podcast, Manga's Planning. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: yeah, a
3: weird dude. thing to drop into conversation.
2: <laughs> it is awkward. I'll say that.
3: <laughs> What manga should I read? Well, I've recorded 80 plus hours about that. Here's the link. (laughs) Like, here you go.
0: Christopher, how about you? What's the final word on Space Brothers? The Tokyo Terra Reba
3: Girls comparison that you made was really interesting to me because Tokyo Terra Reba Girls felt to me like it had to come to an end. And if anything, maybe it went on like a volume too long, which as a series, I actually really like. It pains me to say And I was happy to get another volume, let's be honest. Like, I would just read more of what she wanted to do whenever she wanted to do it. Tokita Ereba Girls was so tight. You know what I mean? Like, it was so incisive and so sharp and so tightly plotted that, like, if that went on forever, it would almost be in turn – like, it would be too much. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it would just be like, I need some resolution. You can't keep cranking up the intensity – And like making these witty whatever. And maybe that's just me, but it's like, it's like contemporary TV. When I start watching something that's really good and it's just like, oh my God, this, like we need a season break. Like you can't keep doing this. (laughs) Whereas Space Brothers is like, if there was a Space Brothers show, I feel like you could just catch a rerun and watch any episode like you can, Law and Order, because they would structure each chapter a little bit differently forever like literally infinitely and some would age better than others but could always just sort of drop in on or mash mash is better because there is more of a clear progression and characters change but it's like tokyo terra reba girls if it was 40 something volumes long i think we'd all hate it like aggressively hate it because it was because of what kind (laughs) of monk it was and i'm super glad it came to an end and i don't i liked the ending i found it actually like mean (laughs) to her (laughs) to our protagonist but also like mean in a really believable way sometimes people don't make the best decisions for themselves and screw it they got to live their lives and i think that that was great and this if it never ends i wouldn't actually be surprised like as soon as i got to like chapter three or four i was like oh yeah this is why this is 40 volumes like any other manga would have covered this entire first volume as the first chapter so we could get into, like, the high stakes, like, tension of the rest of it, so. Yeah, yeah,
0: let's get to the moon already. Get
3: to the moon and fight something. <laughs> There's got to be a revolution on the moon with a lady in an iron mask. That was my throwback for to uh, nice. Moonlight Mile from earlier this season. I think it is exactly what it wanted to be from the outset, and I'm happy to hear that it gets better, and I'm happy to see that they did exactly what they wanted to from the outset, and it became as popular as it did. Like that's mm. kind of amazing. So, yeah, I would actually wholeheartedly recommend this if you're like a grown-up who likes serialized, basic cable television. You know, you're a big Jag fan or something. Is that still on? I don't even. My references are sort of no, I've had cable no. in fifteen years. <laughs> it's still on somewhere. Like I bet somewhere one of you could turn on cable and there's an episode of Jag playing. <laughs> That's my That's my thought. I think it's really good and easy to recommend because it is so comfortable and smart and uplifting, but not like going to like make you cringe so hard you lose your mind, like grab your enthusiasm, or so tense and upsetting that you're like, pray for the episode to be over, like secession. <laughs> dot dot dot. So I think it's that kind of thing for me. I think it's like a really just very easy manga and it feels like it'll always be
2: there when i want to read another volume and it probably will
0: at 41 volumes and counting it probably <laughs> will
2: well it's actually in a lot of the streaming services like azuki and Mangamo mm-hmm. and stuff like that so you, if you've got on any of those services you can actually binge read a lot of space brothers
0: yeah Kodansha actually did a humble bundle with a lot of space brothers and other less space oriented titles mm-hmm. that i picked up so i've got a lot if you need to hook up chris nice thank you chip was that your final thought earlier or did you have more
4: um i like it
0: nice <laughs> all right we're gonna take a break we're gonna run an ad which i don't know it seems like the thing to do these days and then we're gonna do one last segment and get out of here we'll see you in a bit
1: <laughs> it seems like the thing to do these days <laughs>
0: Hello and welcome to Mashplaining, the show where we discuss the war comedy drama television series that aired from the fall of 1972 up until the winter of 1983. Hosted by Deb Aoki, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, Chip Zadarsky and myself, David Pointman Brothers. Follow along with our show notes and reading lists at mangasplaining.com. So this is another example of taking a bit too far. This is MASH.
2: (laughs) Is Point Man your MASH name?
0: Incredibly, I used to work on a military themed video game doing like front facing, like social media, blogging type stuff. And they gave me the nickname of Point Man. Mm. And as soon as the game came out, they told me to stop posting. And I was like, okay, well, that was an easy job. But it's been in the back of my head ever since. It's probably been like 10 or 11 years now. But that would be funny, (laughs) just like this entire segment, which is to. I don't know. I think MASH is fun. And I think with Space Brothers, it's kind of a nice pair. Because like as Christopher said during the podcast, they're both just kind of about like being in the space and seeing it evolve. And I think MASH sort of precedes prestige TV in that it could have been a prestige show, like 11 seasons, one storyline, but it's pitched as a sitcom. It's just like regular everyday TV, like pick it up, watch it anywhere, you'll get a satisfying story. Space Brothers occupies a similar... I don't want to say space three times in one sentence, but here <laughs> we are. <laughs> yeah, I got caught with that earlier. It's, uh, it's yeah. the worst. <laughs> but so for me, MASH was around when I was a kid, and I'm from a military family. Like, I, my first job, like I've always lived around an Air Force base. One of my first jobs was on an Air Force base. If you work at Burger King on an Air Force base, it's a government job, you get two raises a year.
4: It's mm, what?
0: Yeah. So, little tip for you there. And, <laughs> I didn't watch Match because I was too young. I was actually born the year it went off the air. But as I've gotten older, like I've read more war, books on war, war correspondence, letters from people who've been in war, and that kind of thing, along with having a family that's largely military. And I like the idea of a show that kind of took the military seriously, but wasn't like the support of our troops post 9 11 jingoism we've been drowning in yeah, over the yeah. past 20 years. And M.A.S.H. really hit the spot. Like, it's incredibly funny. First of all, I didn't realize how much of, like, my preferred type of humor was basically Ellen Aldo's patter. <laughs> but it's also really poignant when it needs to be, which is something that I think, you know, bringing it back to manga on our manga podcast, like, manga's great at threading that line of being, mm-hmm. like, really honest, but then also, like, throwing in something slapstick and goofy. So I wanted to come to the gang. I know, Deb, you mentioned you hadn't watched M.A.S.H. before, so I wanted to get a question from you. And then some... I don't know, comments, commentary from Chris and Chip. So out of all the things we've said about MASH so far, has there been anything that's been like, what are these guys talking about the most for you?
2: Well, I have to correct. I actually did watch MASH, mm-hmm. uh, but when it was first airing regularly on TV. Mm-hmm. So when you guys talk about Hot Lips Hoolahan having a moment, I knew what that moment was. <laughs> oh,
4: nice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did know that it started out as a certain type of show. Mm-hmm that seem much more like Hogan's heroes, I guess. Kind of this, you know, war is hell, but we're going to mix a martini and, you know, screw it, right? Yeah. yeah. But it, then it turns into something that, over the time, it turns into something that says, oh yeah, this is the Vietnam War, and people are dying out there, and things are really toughed up. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to make this totally serious either. One of the things that's weird about MASH, right, is that over the years, Alan Alda became this symbol of this enlightened... Bleeding heart, liberal type thing, right? Mm -hmm. The sensitive man. Mm -hmm. The sensitive man. Or kind of like a West Wing, right? With Martin Sheen. Mm. This liberal hero. It's not been something where I wanted to revisit. But it's been so interesting listening to you discovering for the first time and loving it so much. Mm. So I guess I wanted to ask you, what did you think you were getting into when you first started watching it?
0: I was expecting, like, I love the Andy Griffith show. Wow. It's kind of hard in this era of like all cops are bastards and that kind of thing. But, you know, like I grew up <laughs> with it, like small town, like the theme song, classic. And I was expecting something more like that. Kind of like you said, Hogan's Heroes, like, well, it's just the war. That's just the, the setting we're in. But it was so openly contemptuous about the things that get us into war and about like the so-called like upsides of war that it became almost like, I mean, it literally is a comedy drama, but it's so pointed that I don't. Know, I feel like you could actually like learn perspective from watching it, even from like a twenty twenty two political perspective. You know, like I I think I'm a fairly progressive guy, and there's a lot of stuff in there that wouldn't fly nowadays, like naming a character Hot Lips, or uh, like the one black character in the first couple episodes is named Spear Chucker, which is not great. But the show does such a great job of being on point with a lot of other things that I can see kind of what they were getting right. You know, their overall message is like that racism is stupid, you know, especially in times of war, kind of once you've been hurt, like it's not really about their side or our side. It's like we're all human, you know, when we're bleeding and that sort of thing. So I think I expected a goofy comedy and instead I got one of those comedies. that's like secretly about like everything we're going through right now.
3: Yeah. And you know,
0: Gerard Carmichael tear your heart out kind of a deal. Yeah. And so, Chip, how about you? What's your MASH position?
1: I'm pro-MASH. Nice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was one of those shows that I found fascinating when I was a kid. Partly because, yeah, it was, it was a war show. And, like, and, and Alan Alda's character, like Hawkeye is, was kind of the, the character you want to be. Yeah, like he's yeah. he always has the perfect line with the drink. He's suave. He's good at his job. He's also sensitive. I don't know if it plays the same now, or if he comes across a bit more creepy. You know what Deb Debs says is interesting: just the fact that Alan Alda, like during the show, and also especially since, has become just like like a lovely person from everything I've read about him. Like he's just like smart, wonderful, charitable. I remember Kelly Sue DeConnick saying she wanted to get like knuckle tattoos that said Alan Alda, like, <laughs> like he's just he's that guy. You just like I think when he dies, it's going to be quite the thing. So, so that character in particular, um, really drew me to the to the show, but also I think it informed creatively what kind of work I do and I gravitate towards. Mm. Like that the the emotional stuff hits harder when there are jokes kind of around it. Mm-hmm. Instead of watching something just like, it's just dour. Like, okay, this is like, <laughs> this is not exactly a shout out, but I watch Game of Thrones. I enjoyed Game of Thrones.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I've been watching House of the Dragon or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, this is just dour. Like there is no, there's not a single smile in this show. Like, there's no character like, oh, I love that line they just gave. Oh, that's fun. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's no balance. Whereas MASH had this really interesting balance. It wasn't all in one way or the other. So, I feel like that's kind of informed me creatively. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, even as a kid, I was amazed at the use of that laugh track. We've talked about it before on the show when you were doing your MASH watch. But the fact that it had a laugh track, always weird when there's a laugh track. but the fact that they kill the laugh track in the OR scenes, even if there are yeah. jokes going, there's no mm-hmm. laughter there. That was, that was fascinating and really kind of reminds you, Oh yeah, this show is like actually about like life or death. Yeah. And uh, which character, which character dies
0: when uh, they're, when they, when leave. they're leaving. Yeah. Henry dies. As Henry a, that's Henry it. Blake.
1: Yeah. 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 That killed me as a kid. Like that was just like, you know, there are a few kind of weird TV moments when I was a kid that like just kind of floored me, and that was one of them. Mm-hmm. The fact that they they just didn't give that character a happy ending because it's war. A lot of it too. Maybe I'm going on too long. Sorry, but no, it's all good. I'm an illustrator in my family. There was only one other illustrator, and that was my mom's uncle, uh, Uncle Ari Snellman, and. As a kid, I loved going to his studio. Like he had all the, the the brushes and types of paper and stuff and he did all these commercial illustrations and he did these paintings and he was like the family artist and when he passed away I became the family artist. And so that was a weird thing. Hmm. But he he fought in the Korean War and he hmm. was a war artist as well. And he was a prisoner of war. And so like every once in a while you just get like a weird glimpse of that as well, where he casually mentioned a thing but then just shut down. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're just, you're always rem- being in the family with him. You were always reminded of like, Oh yeah, no, that was war. Like he can't, he actually can't talk about this stuff. Like he just like, boom, shuts it down towards the end of his life. He would open up a little bit about it. And then just like, pfft, just no, no, he c- couldn't talk about that time. Mm. And so I always think about that in relationship to mash as well. Just like, Oh yeah. Like it's a, it's a show with last, but it's just a show about horror. And the fact that you can like, walked that line for 11 seasons Yeah, longer than the actual war. Like that's
0: amazing. And a lot of the actors were veterans from the war as well, which I think informed yeah. the tone of the show and sort of the positions that they would take.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also sure. shout out to Larry Hama, who is in mash. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like one episode. Yeah. But like that, that's one of his claims to fame for anyone that listening that doesn't know Larry Hama is like, a legendary comic book writer who wrote like the run of GI Joe that cemented that toy line as well. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. That's But he's also acting. Patrick Swayze and a bunch of other people <laughs> were enough, but that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Christopher, how about you? What's your Mash experience?
3: It overlaps a little bit with what Chip's saying, although not quite as personal, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's Mash just always was. From the moment of my first memories in my first house, Mash was playing. My dad loved the show. He was a big anti-Vietnam guy who's obviously gotten conservative as he's gotten older and then gotten less conservative as he's had to navigate what a conservative-tinged healthcare system looks like. So that's been a fun journey. Yeah, MASH is just like an omnipresent piece of my life, and it absolutely affected the way I looked at the world growing up because it was always on. It was always on when I was too young to really understand it, and it was always on when I was learning about concepts and how I felt about certain things. And yeah, I think I wouldn't, it's a, it's a weird thing. I will give one personal anecdote. My husband, Andrew is staunchly anti-military and staunchly anti-war and a pacifist and has the reading and uh, intelligence to back it up, has the smarts to back it up. He's done all, he's done the work. And Consequently, he does not care for Remembrance Day, which is like holiday in Canada. It's Maybe it's, it's the same day as either Veterans Day or one of the other American uh, holidays. I can't remember which one. It's November 11th. He does not care for it because he feels mm-hmm. like it glorifies war, which is like a re- reduction of his feeling and a simplification. But it's the, it's the long and the short. It's pomp and circumstance for a thing that shouldn't be celebrated. And it moves from honoring people who have fallen to making sure that there will always be a steady stream of more people. To fall in future Mm -hmm. wars. And I never had that. There was not a moment in my life, thanks to MASH being on the TV, that I did not know that war was the worst thing we could do as a society, as a civilization. War was the absolute worst. So for me, Remembrance Day was always, especially in school, because you'd have to go to school on Remembrance Day so you could stand there and be sad. And I would frequently cry during Remembrance Day ceremonies because it was so sad. It was so sad to realize how many people had died, how many people had lost their lives, and there was no glory, and maybe it, was, it seemed necessary at the time, but it was, it was an absolute failure of humanity. And that comes from MASH, and I didn't really connect the two mm. until you asked me to think about it for this <laughs> episode of Mash MASHsplaining. <laughs> I went through my whole life. Just being like, yeah, no, war is, war is a failure of imagination. War is a failure of the human spirit. It is the opposite of everything I want. And it was MASH. It was Hawkeye ranting at me from the time I was, I guess, like three. I remember episodes still airing on TV. I, I watched the last episode when it aired with my dad. Mm-hmm. And it's wild to think what an insane impact that show has had on me. Because obviously, once it ended, they just started again. Like, it was one of the most popular series and reruns for decades, the first two decades after it ended. And we would watch other stuff. We would watch All in the Family, which I didn't like because Archie Bunker was an asshole. And I didn't get that that <laughs> was like, I didn't get who Carol O'Connor was. I was still a kid, right? Yeah. I didn't get like what he had done and what he was important for. And I just felt like, why is this guy watching this guy who hates everybody? Like, this is awful. Like, I can't watch this show. But MASH I would always watch. I would always like whatever I was doing, I would stop and watch to the end of the episode. Or or if I was flipping, I would try to find an episode of MASH. It was The Simpsons before it was The Simpsons, you know? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. it shaped my whole outlook in a way that is good and bad. I say jokes at inappropriate times, for sure. Which is a Mashism, <laughs> which is an Alan Aldaism. Yeah. I think. Things are, I have a, such an intense disdain for authority and authoritarian systems that comes from MASH for sure. Like anyone who's trying to exert their will on anybody else is ludicrous. And like a man, when I saw Terry Gilliam's Brazil, I was like, MASH was right. (laughs) (laughs) The system is insane. (laughs) We're all fools for believing in it. Yeah. So. I react really strongly when I perceive that to be the case in my day to day life, and that is not helpful for trying to get through to the day to day. Yeah, it's wild, actually, how much Mash is like Mash is just indivisible from an early part of my life and from from my life now. And I haven't watched an episode maybe in a few years. I like I like we were saying I don't have cable anymore, so I mean, yeah, and I doubt Jag is the new Mash. Let's be honest. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's always there, and you actually. Rewatching it has made me want to go uh and watch a few episodes, see if it's on any of the many streaming services I have access to. Yeah. It is a big weirdly, weirdly big part of who I am as a grown-up. And I think it would be a good time to rewatch it now because I'm in a position where it's just like, maybe military intervention in a certain circumstances isn't so bad. And it, like, no, like it's yeah. I have to like I have to go watch MASH again. But the idea of <laughs> people defending themselves versus being attacked I think is a really important one and there's a lot of nuance about that in MASH as well. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of nuance, there's a lot of things oh the thing that the thing that I've also been thinking about is that it is self-reflexive, is that it went on for so long it could hear the criticism about it and I think I think Deb even before we had the podcast mentioned that how they treated the character Kelly and how she gets a moment in oh, the last yeah. season to be like you guys have always been just so shitty to me and and it is a genuinely like reflective sorrowful moment with like a real apology that you can tell is coming not just from the characters but from the actors and from the writing staff Mm. that is wild to watch that like that is a wild thing to watch that as a grown-ass man as opposed to like you know a seven-year-old who's like laughing at the funny jokes and then realizing that oh that another character i liked died this week like that's how it goes like they introduce a character at the beginning. They might make it through the operation. They might not. And maybe if they don't make it through, it's better. Because if they do make it through the operation, they're just sent back for the front lines to show up in the camp again. I think there's even an yeah. episode halfway through where someone's been in the camp, like, for, like been yeah, back deserve... to the mash. Like, well they Oh, just keep, yeah. Like he just keeps coming back because he just keeps getting injured. And he's, he's like seen him three times in four months or something. like Just crazy. And you're just like. Yeah. it's You can't watch that and not come away feeling a thing. And I felt the things. I felt the things a lot.
0: Nice. Yeah. I think kind of to wrap it up, I agree with what everyone is saying, but from the opposite direction, I, it's almost a confirmation of the things I've grown to believe as I've come come of age, essentially. Yeah. Like from talking with family, from seeing people coming back from, from the war in Iraq and all that sort of thing. And You guys warned me that the the last episode was a doozy. And I think I said it was, like, the most melancholy thing I'd ever seen in my life. Because, like, for the first hour, hour and a half, like, there's jokes, but none of them are funny. Like, no one's laughing. None of that stuff. Yeah. The laughs don't start until the war is over. And I think that's such a cool touch for the the last episode. Here's, like, here's how we want to be remembered. Which is that war is garbage. The best time is when it's, like, immediately over and we can think of going home again. Like, I think... Kelly is the one who's like, oh, let's grab the signs for our home states off the big post in the camp. And she go, goes and grabs Honolulu and runs over and it's super cute.
1: Yeah.
0: But I was really struck by the evolution of Father Mulcahy,
1: the yeah. Catholic
0: priest who's the chaplain of the camp. And I, I was raised Protestant. I'm still, you know, like free range. Anything goes Christian, I suppose, more <laughs> so than organized religion. But his storyline of like being so dedicated to helping the orphans and then to the point of like getting hurt several times over the course of the series was fascinating and kind of like centering for me in a bit where he was almost like I love Hawkeye. Great character, hot lips, amazing character, but Mulcahy might be my favorite, you know, maybe even above radar O'Reilly just because of like the kind of guy he was and what he represented to the series and also what he said about like what normal people are capable of. I don't know, Mash. It's a good TV show. It's streaming on Hulu, possibly other services in your country. (laughs) Give it a look. (laughs) So,
1: so sorry. Before you go on, have you dipped your toe into After Mash?
0: I don't think I need to sully my memories of Mash. It's fair. I'm I'm very skeptical. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about Trapper John, MD, because that seems like such a, a twist. Oh yeah, away from you know Mash. Like they're not just doing Mash again. Yeah. But I really like the first Trapper John actor, so I don't know if I would like the replacement. I think it's a different guy in the TV show, maybe? It is. Really? That always weirded me out
3: as a kid. that They they didn't get the same actor, but they just cast the character. It was so weird. So weird. Yeah.
0: Thank you all for indulging me, listeners, and Magusplaining gang, both. Christopher, you've got some news for us, so then we can close out? Yeah,
3: we're going to go into shout-outs. But first, so... As we discussed last episode, I have moved to the other side of the world, and in my month-long jamboree of trying to get everything ready to move to the other side of the world, I forgot to order Kosakushima from the sources that would deliver it to people so that we could record an episode about it in a timely fashion. And so I have now ordered Kosakushima, (laughs) but it won't be in... uh, Well, it's coming on September 28th at the earliest, which is not in time for us to record the episode in seven days. So I thought, let's just we'll record that whenever it comes in, and that'll just be what we do that week. And we'll pop that episode in somewhere before we release the Akira episode. And why don't we actually go and do the fan favorite episode from our four first chapters from episode 75, where we read four chapters of manga, and then Chip picked his favorite. And if I am remembering correctly, I believe that ship picked the book Sweetness and Lightning, which is published by Kodansha and written and illustrated by what is what does Wikipedia say? Giro Amagakure did that one. So instead of the episode order being Kosakushima, which we are going to get to, it is in the mail, according to all sources, we're going to do Sweetness and Lightning instead. So just wanted to put that in there as like a mea culpa for all the readers, like 30 people in North America who are super excited about Kosakashima. That episode will be delayed <laughs> by a couple of weeks. But instead, we'll get to read something that's much more popular. And it's about a dad, and this kid, and they're making food. And it's really nice. Look for Sweetness and Lightning after this episode, as opposed to whatever it says elsewhere on the internet. Thank you very much, David.
0: Back to you. Don't believe what you read online? <laughs> yeah. Never. Never
2: believe what you read online. Cool. Deb, do you have any shout-outs? I have one, but I'm not sure if I've mentioned it before. But given that we just talked about MASH, yeah. I was going to recommend Konodori, Dr. Stork. Oh. It's a long-running Kodansha manga about a guy who is an obstetrician. He delivers babies. It's this interesting little episodic manga about how very actually dramatic it is to give birth <laughs> that there's a lot of things that can go wrong there's a lot of things that fertility is interesting and it it is very frank about abortion it's very frank about uh, birth defects but it's also sweetly charming <laughs> there's a nurse there's a doula there's a there are a couple different types of doctors so it's kind of got this funky like the way the characters bounce off each other is really interesting, kind of like space brothers. Mm-hmm. So the, the weird manga twist is he has a secret life as a jazz pianist, a
4: world famous <laughs> jazz pianist,
2: <laughs> and, which is a secret that he keeps from everyone in the hospital. Now, mind you, this makes no damn sense. This makes no damn sense to be on call at a, at a hospital for, to deliver babies and tell people I can't come because I, I have a sold-out concert. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, if you like MASH, uh-huh. if you like Space Brothers, I think you might enjoy Konodori. It's a good medical manga.
0: Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 27 volumes available right now. That's wild. Mm. Chip, how about you? Do you have any shout-outs for us?
1: Yeah, actually. Yeah. I'm not... Let me just say, I, I used to be a huge Star Wars fan Yeah, as a kid. Mm. And, you know, I've... I've probably seen most star wars movies or tv shows but i'm definitely on the you know the easing out of it period of my life but i got sucked into watching the documentary about industrial light and magic on disney plus light and magic which has like amazing behind the scenes footage of the making of the first star wars movie and you know it it should be a manga like it's a ragtag crew doing things that haven't been done before under crazy pressure. George Lucas is like a baby who is off in the desert trying to shoot this thing while these like Yahoos are in a warehouse trying to come up with new technology, constantly letting them down. Like it's it's so insightful and kind of reminds you of what an impact that movie actually was yeah yeah it's, it's filled with amazing characters and i highly recommend it, at least the first couple of episodes that i've seen nice yeah yeah really good
0: that just makes me think it's print only right now but there's a manga called the men who created gundam which is mm. the story of creating the first series of gundam that's really let's say amped up from reality a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <I
4: see>.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to that on season four. All right. Christopher, how about you? Or was Sweetness of Lightning your shout out?
3: No, my shout out is actually more conceptual. This week's Uh-oh. shout out is Touch Grass. Touch Grass, everybody listening. I was cooped up in a hotel for four days for quarantine. And then the day I got out, I went for a walk and I did 15,000 steps on my step counter. Touch Grass. Ooh. It is awesome. You feel good. Go for a little walk if you can do it safely. And not too much heat, not too much worry. I really recommend it. I feel much better having been able to go outside.
0: Don't take it for granted, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And David? Mine is the opposite of Christopher's, I think. <laughs> so we just got done talking about MASH. We just got done talking about MASH and how much I like the Andy Griffith show. So I just want to say, if any high-powered Hollywood big shots are listening, hire me to reboot the Dukes of Hazard. Please, Whoa. like I grew up on that show, it might have oh, informed how God. I think about things. Like, Mash informed Christopher, so like, oh. just give me a chance. Uh, and on that note, we're going to call it if, for this episode of Manga Explaining.
2: If I had money as a as a studio executive, I would be throwing it at you right
0: now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's out of <laughs> the woods with a cool car. Like this is the like we can make it better than Fast and the Furious. Without oh, God, Christmas ego. I
1: loved that show as a kid. I had, I had, sorry, I know we're probably going yeah. long, but I had like a wristwatch that had a tiny General Lee nice. in, inside in which you wound it up and it popped open and it went zooming
3: <laughs> across oh, the
0: floor. Oh, I know those. Yeah, oh my you Remember God, those? Yeah. 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 I, I had the last box. car, the General D instead of the General Lee. So, like, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's in my bones. <laughs> oh, All right,
3: here's, here's one last bit of sharing. My cousin yeah. liked... I was a little too young for Dukes of Hazzard, but I did watch it. I don't have really memories of it, but my cousin was so in to Dukes of Hazzard that he changed his name to Bo. That's amazing. <gasps> one of the cousins. Wow. He... <laughs> he was a junior. He had his dad's name and he hated being called the same name as his dad. So he's like, call me Bo. And that was his name without a word of a lie that is still a nickname for people who know him. And he only had to change to his, his government name once he started working in his like twenties. <laughs> but like he was called Bo all through my childhood after the Dukes of hazard. It was crazy. And then it was Rambo I was super that. popular at around the same time. So he was like double down on it. Cause he was such a yeah, fan of winning. John Rambo. <laughs> You got some <laughs> characters in my family let me tell you. Yeah, so yeah duke's a hazard man
2: i guess changing your nickname is less painful than getting a tattoo but i can't imagine balls to the walls that's, <laughs> that's a baller move. Yeah, yeah,
0: no kidding. man all right thanks for listening we will see you all next week with sweetness and lightning This has been Manga Explaining episode number 80. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga sweetness and Lightning*. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can follow along with our complete reading list at mangaxplaining.com and check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at extra.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode.